Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and on today's episode we're going to be talking about the 2017 horror film Happy Death Day, directed by Christopher Landon, written by Scott Lobdell, and starring Jessica Roth and Israel Broussard. In this film, a woman is trapped reliving the day she is murdered, and she must uncover who her murderer is in order to move on with her life. If you're new to the show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front, we'll talk about the background of the film, and then we'll take a quick break before we dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Hey, Brian, did you realize we're recording this on Groundhog's Day? <laughs> yeah, man, we kind of screwed up. I didn't realize this was a Groundhog's Day horror movie that we're releasing a week after Groundhog's yeah, Day. I know. I know, this was like fully thought out, but what are the odds that we'd be talking about it today, though? Yeah, that, that worked out nicely. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I knew this was a time loop. I, I knew it was some sort of weird, had trippy elements to it but i didn't realize the time loop so oh so going into this you didn't realize like what the plot was or anything no no i didn't oh okay okay cool yeah are you uh, a believer of groundhog's day by any chance no i think it's so silly i, I encourage <laughs> it you know it, it's fun but I, it's, it's a strange thing it is it really is and then uh, i saw like today when i figured out it was groundhog's day i saw there was i guess a conflicting report where one groundhog said spring's gonna be longer and one said it's gonna be shorter did, did you read about this that's a very fitting 2022 Groundhog's Day. <laughs> Groundhogs can't make up their mind anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seems like a pretty conflicting year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the premise of this film borrows heavily from the film Groundhog's Day, which you've seen, right? Oh, yeah. Many times. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Um, which kind of uh, is interesting because this guy, uh, Christopher Landon, the last movie movie of his that we reviewed was Freaky, which also kind of plays tributes like an older film, right? That's true, right? They're both kind of spoofs on a, a very gimmicky film from the past. Yeah, yeah. That has to do with like a supernatural element in the like metaphysical world itself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would you call this sci-fi potentially? Because it has time loops? You know, I think I saw that somewhere. I don't know if just time loops is enough to put sci-fi on there. Like, no one would say Groundhog's Day is a sci-fi comedy. Yeah, that's true, unfortunately. I, no, I, I reject that, I think. <laughs> okay, I had a feeling you would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that seems to be, like, what this guy does, is he takes these, like, old concepts or famous concepts and just puts them in the horror realm, which, uh, I, I yeah, I think we talked about this on Freaky. Like, does he pay royalties, or does any kind of acknowledgement go towards those films? I, yeah, that's a good question. We did talk about that on Freaky. I should have looked into that more. Yeah. For the record, he didn't write this, so this is not his idea. Sure, yeah. But I, although he did, I think he's uncredited. I think he rewrote a lot of the script, but he's not credited as a writer. Mm. I don't know to what extent he re rewrote it, but he punched some stuff up and changed some things. Okay, got it. But I don't think you can copyright an idea of someone living the same day over and over again, so <laughs> I doubt he had to pay any royalties for this one. I guess, but like the second you hear that, don't you just think Groundhog's Day? Yeah, and I mean, they even mention Groundhog Day in the film, so oh, yeah. they, they know what they're doing, but yeah. I don't think you can I don't think you can call that intellectual property just like a concept alone. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. I guess, yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I, I assume like in a patent office somewhere in D.C., like there's a, this is written like down in a, in a vault somewhere. 
<laughs> it's just it's just written in crayon on a piece of paper. Yeah. A day that keeps happening day. over. Yeah. yeah. It's got like the U.S. government stamp on it. It's mine now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think similar to Freaky, what would you say? Like comedy horror is maybe the, the best description here? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Cool. Any, anything Post-modern else? Postmodern slasher maybe? Yeah. I think you're right. I, I feel like a lot of this was maybe like a, a like a um, a take on or like really inspired by Scream. Like you got a person in a mask going around, uh, you know, stalking coeds and stuff, or, or one coed in particular. Yeah, I believe it was pitched as Scream meets Groundhog Day, and yeah, that's pretty dead on. Oh, okay. And even like the mask was uh, the same dude who designed the mask for Scream. I don't think that is true. I what? saw that same fact, but yeah. if you look. If you try to corroborate that fact elsewhere, yeah. um, it can't be done. At least I couldn't do it. <laughs> where, if, where, if, where else would you look for a fact like that if not wikipedia.net? <laughs> what, what more evidence do you need? Uh, I Well, even if you look on, I mean, you can even just look on other Wikipedia pages or go to IMDb or, yeah, various places that have information about the Scream films. That is not on there. Um, yeah, what's the guy's name? Tony Gardner. Is he who did the mask? Yeah. Tony Gardner. Yep. So we talked about him on the Freaky episode, too. He worked on the Daft Punk helmets. He worked on Adam's Family, Return of the Living Dead, Zombieland. Yeah. He's got a big background in um, special effects, makeup, and design, and stuff like that. But yeah. he did not do that that scream mask. Oh, okay. So you admit that he did this film, but you're, you're pushing uh, back on the scream mask. Right, yeah, I'm sorry. He did design the baby mask mm. in this film, but the scream mask, as far as I know, was not him. The, that was done by K&B EFX Group, and as far as I could tell, Tony Gardner has no association with wow. EFX. If wow. he does, it's not anywhere online. So. Wow, okay, interesting controversy. Brian pushing back on uh, Wikipedia. I'm pushing back on Wikipedia. You know what? I might even go in there and edit that shit. Oh, man. You can be one of those. <laughs> Not cited correctly. This, <laughs> this site might be uh, inaccurate or this data might be outdated. Exactly. Damn. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll take a word for it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, d- definitely like a similar vibe, I think, to, to Scream and it obviously inspired by that, as you mentioned. Um, Same element, too, of not knowing who the killer is. Yeah. Kind of like that whole murder mystery vibe, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's really interesting because uh, I, I feel like the director, while he's done this in Freaky, which I think are you know kind of similar humor and comedy wise uh, and, and horror, um, he's also done like Paranormal Activity two through four, which is so different, right? Yeah, he wrote two, three, four, and five and seven, and then he directed five and seven. Oh wow, that's yeah. crazy! I didn't even know there was a seven. Yeah, it's Paranormal Activity next of kin. Oh okay okay. Got it. Yeah. I think that's the one that came out last year in 2021. Oh, I heard okay. it wasn't very good. Right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. That, that's that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine like a bigger difference between those films and like the uh, atmosphere of this one. Right, yeah. So he's he's in there with Blumhouse. Yeah. Um, and I think that this script, uh, this idea came about in 2007 and I think it was going to be done at another studio, but he's the one who kind of sent it Jason Blum's way, and then it ended up at Blumhouse. Right, right. Yeah, I think before him, it might have been Michael Bay was considering producing it. Right, yeah, there you go. 
But uh, yeah, it feels like very much in the Blumhouse, uh, or Bl- yeah, in, in their wheelhouse of the Blumhouse. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a, a like, huge success. So I, I think similar to like, a lot of the success that Blumhouse has with these like, low, lower budget films that just like, bring a huge return. This one, what, $4.8 million and then brought in $125 million. It's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, that's that's wild. Twenty six times its budget. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, but, it was the top of the box office on its opening weekend, so definitely a good showing. Right, right. Um, you didn't make it out to theaters to see this one when it came out. No, I, this one got away from me, and then it just kept getting away from me, and I I never saw it. So this was a first watch. Oh, okay. Did you see it? In, you had seen it before, right? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it in theaters. Uh, I don't remember being like terribly excited about it because uh, I kind of knew it was going to be like you know more kind of comedy, but um, it, yeah, I, I remember seeing it and, and it being kind of a fun watch. So, <laughs> can I tell you a little something about yourself? Sure. <laughs> After your rant on the scary stories to tell in the dark episode about PG-13 horror and all of its shortcomings. Oh, You've boy. you picked your <laughs> second pick in a row of PG-13 rated film <laughs> with Happy Death Day. Yeah, when I got to the end of this one, I felt like something was missing, and yeah, that PG-13 thing kind of bugged me again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that you did that to yourself. This one felt even more PG-13 than, than uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, I, I feel like it really held back. What, what, what did you think? I think it felt more PG-13, more so in the subject matter with, like, the college uh, raunchiness type stuff. <laughs> the humor? Yeah, the humor and the, the topics of discussion and the sexual stuff. Yeah, that was more it's adult. Maybe the dad and me here. Sure, sure. <laughs> but the violence, uh, there were some intense violent sequences, and I feel like supernatural violence... And something like scary stories to tell in the dark isn't as likely to cause a harder rating as knife violence. Like mm. there were a lot of there was a lot of knife swinging in this. Yeah, um, and you see people get stabbed. You just don't really see much blood, but you do see some. You do see some. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shits. There's a fuck in it. So I thought this one was more pushing the boundaries of PG-13. I could have seen this being R without too much different. I see. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I almost have the opposite reaction where if, if you see ni- a knife, then naturally you're expecting like way more blood and gore compared to like Supernatural where it's not as noticeable that it's missing. So it, it felt like a little bit more like how do you have like so many knife swings going on, but like not the equatable amount of blood present. The sure. Ra- the ratio seems a little off. All right. Knife to blood ratio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think they get good call out that, uh, two PG-13 movies. That's, that's my bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm blowing that one up. Um, but, uh, yeah, speaking of a success, uh, there, there's a sequel and then it sounds like there's a part three that's been written, but, uh, I don't know. It sounds like it hasn't gotten the green light yet. Y- you read anything about that? Oh, okay. I missed that. Yeah. The sequel was Happy Death Day to You in 2019. I, I'd like to see that one. I heard that was good too. Yeah, it's funny. That one had twice the budget but got like half the box office. So oh, bummer. Numbers kind of went backwards on that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll be interested to see if they come out with a part three. Did you recognize any of the cast here? Yeah, I recognized Ruby Modine, the, her roommate from uh, another movie that we've covered on the podcast, Satanic Panic in the Attic. Do you remember that? Satanic Panic in the Attic? That was a movie we covered? 
or wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going on little sleep. Satanic Panic in the Attic is an album by of Montreal, but Satanic Panic is the the movie we covered. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Satanic Panic was that where someone was delivering pizzas? Yes. Oh, okay. Was Rebecca she... Romaine was in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was um, this character like one of the main characters? She was. Boy, I can't remember her role exactly now. I think she was someone who was like an. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. Satanic Panic, but she was in Satanic Panic, and just take my word for it. Okay, taken. Cool. <laughs> she yeah. also sang. She's a singer. Oh. And she sang um, a cover of "This Land Is Your Land" on the Wrong Turn 2021 soundtrack. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and her dad Matthew Modine was in that movie playing Charlotte Vega's father. Oh my god, that's cool. This is the one that the remake that came out last year. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think. Uh, yeah, I really want to check that one out. I, I think you, you really like that one, right? Yeah, I did. You should check that one out. That was on my top five last year. Okay. Yeah, cool. No, I, I I didn't recognize her, but good call out. Um, and then uh, I think the the main actress here, um, Jessica Roth. I mean, she looks really familiar, and I feel like she's like been in La La Land and some other big films, but I, I couldn't place her outside of this film. Yeah, and Israel Broussard, the dude in it, looked vaguely familiar, and I think I recognized him from the Bling Ring. Oh, okay, that was a movie, right? That came out a few years ago. Yeah, with um. Oh boy, the uh, scream queen, young woman from the nun. Um. Oh. Tara. Oh, oh. God. Farmiga. The, yeah, Thais, yeah. Taisa Farmiga. Yeah, yeah. Go. Right. Something like that. Okay. Cool. Nice. Vera's sister. Vera's younger. Yeah, younger sister. Okay. Cool. Uh, great. Well, um, any other background? Um, not too much. Um, Scott Lobdell, who wrote it, has a prolific career writing comics for Marvel and DC. He wrote a lot of the Uncanny X-Men in the 90s. Yeah, that's really cool. I remember, like, I think I had one of those. Did, did you ever read those? You know, I loved all things X-Men except the comics. I would buy some comics every once in a while, but I don't think young me understood <laughs> this is a tiny slice of a story and I have to keep buying <laughs> <laughs> to the, see more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's definitely inferior to like the the cartoon, especially the '90s X Men cartoon. That, that was a good one. Oh, so good, dude! Even as an adult, I've gone and and read some graphic novels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as much as I loved X Men as a kid and still do, the comics aren't that good. The X Men ones or comics in general? The X Men ones oh, specifically, okay. just just not not that great to me. Yeah, yeah. I I think the animations can be pretty cool though, right? Like the the drawings. Yeah, I love the characters. I love their powers, but all the stories to me are are pretty uninspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my sample size is only one that it's, I, I got as a gift, and I, I thought it was really cool. But yeah, I, I, I buy it. That makes sense. Um, oh, Rotten Tomatoes. We didn't talk about seventy one from critics, sixty seven from users. Oh, right. Yep. Uh, I have no idea if this is an homage or just a coincidence, but there's a nineteen eighty one slasher called Happy Birthday to Me. Hmm. And I wondered if the title was a play on that, but it might just be a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that film. Is the plot similar at all? No, not really, aside okay. from there's a birthday party and some slashing. Okay. <laughs> um, um, let's see, there's some there's some Blumhouse regulars here. Um, it's scored by Bear McCreary, who mm-hmm. scored The Walking Dead, Child's Play 2019, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Ten Clover Fleet, Cloverfield Lane. Uh-huh. 
Actually, he's not really a, a Blumhouse regular, but Toby Oliver is. He shot Get Out and a few other Blumhouse films, and he shot this as well. He's like the cinematographer? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And the editor is Gregory Plotkin, who did Get Out and a bunch of other Blumhouse stuff. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. He yeah. worked with Landon plenty of times on the Paranormal franchise. Got it. Okay, cool. Some familiar people. Yeah, I think I've squeezed all the juice from my background research. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you got? Uh, no, you got an Ohio Connection for us? I do. As always, our Ohio Connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, swing by for some delicious drinks and food. And Alex says, Happy Death Day is a black comedy slasher film which features a time loop effect following a college student who is murdered on the night of her birthday and begins reliving the day repeatedly. Popular films that include a time loop include most notably Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow, and Palm Springs. Lesser known is the 2006 Crook Brothers horror film Salvage about a night shift convenience store worker reliving a single night where she is repeatedly murdered by a mysterious customer. What? Portions of the music for the film were composed by the group Devola, an artist whose name is derived from the location where the film was made, a very small town near Marietta called Devola, Ohio. Wow. That's crazy. So there was already a horror film that had a similar concept? Yeah, it sounds like it. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Have you heard I of have Savage? I to check that one out. No, I never heard of it. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I'll, I'll Did you see Palm Springs, that one with Andy Samberg? Uh, I watched like half of it, uh, and then it got kind of repetitive. What about you? <laughs> I suppose these movies can. Yeah, yeah I loved it. It was, it was really good. Like, Is there a good payoff at the end? I thought so, yeah. All right. I, I feel like I'm kind of lukewarm on Andy Samberg. Are you a big fan of his? Uh, you know, I don't follow him religiously, but I, I like everything he's done. Yeah. He's done some like good music videos, and on SNL, he was pretty great. I, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine-Nine was where I, I, f- I feel like I dropped, or like yeah, I missed out a bit on that one. Yeah, I've only seen an episode or two of that, and I enjoy it, but I never got into it. But yeah. anything else I've seen from him, I've enjoyed. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe I'll have to finish that movie. Sounds good. Or just keep restarting it. There you um, go. Yeah, cool. Well, all right. Are you, you ready to get into the plot and the spoilers and uh, review the film? Let's do it. Okay. Hey, but before we do, do you mind if we take a quick break? I, I just want to get in a quick nap. Uh feeling a little tired, so uh, can I call you back? Sure, man. Yeah, better get refreshed. All right, cool. I'll be right back. All right. All right, bye. Hey, dude, I'm back. Sorry about that. No, no worries. Uh, Get a good nap in? Yeah, yeah, it was a great nap. But I, I feel like I'm having some deja vu. Like, it feels like we've recorded this episode before. Uh, are, you, are you feeling that at all? Um, no, I don't think so. Were you by any chance uh, thinking about me last time you masturbated? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's where deja vu comes from, right? <laughs> yes, that is the origin of Deja Vu as purported by this movie. And yes, I was thinking about you the last time I ah, masturbated. That explains it. <laughs> I think so, I <laughs> because think... you called right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, okay, that explains <laughs> why you sound a little scrambled. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what Deja Vu actually translates to in French. Someone's thinking about you all there masturbating. That's uh, probably the... Most, uh, yeah, the most literal translation yeah, of it. I'm sure those two two tiny words convey that thought, yes. Yeah, I think so. 
All right. Well, cool. So, uh, yeah, let's dive into the plot here. So th- this movie kicks off in a pretty clever way that lets you know it's funny right off, where uh, it's showing you the universal title, but then it keeps kind of restarting the the intro and the music. So you kind of know that going into this, this is going to be kind of a silly and funny, maybe somewhat self-aware film. We meet our main character, whose name is Tree. Her real name is actually Teresa, I think, but she goes by Tree. Um, is that right, Teresa? Yeah, she's credited as Tree, but in the origin of the script, she was originally titled Teresa, and they wanted to give her uh, something a little more unique. Oh, okay. I thought and there make... was a quote from either Landon or Lobdell where they're like, and it was symbolic of her character because trees grow. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> that is terrible. I, yeah. <laughs> I thought they were making fun of like sorority culture or something or some of these names that people come up with as, as nicknames in, in college. Uh, but that, that, that's also interesting. Um, yeah. so she, yeah, she wakes up in the storm room, uh, with this guy that she hooked up with the previous night. Well, actually didn't hook up with, but came home with the night previously named Carter. Um, he tries to talk to her, but she like immediately like dismisses him and rolls out of his room and heads back to her sorority house. We come to learn that it's her birthday when her roommate Lori gives her a cupcake, but she immediately puts the cupcake in the trash can. And then later that evening, she's walking alone to a house party and she gets attacked by this person wearing a baby mask who stabs and murders her. Uh, What did you think of the setup of Tree as a character? It went a little too heavy on letting us know that she was a flawed character. (laughs) It's pretty extreme, right? (laughs) She's just uh, the worst. She's like getting so drunk she doesn't remember what happened. And going home with someone random, we all do it or have done it, so no judgment there, but that piled on with like her being absolutely rude to everybody she encounters. Yeah. Her dad calls and she ices the call and rolls her eyes. She throws the cupcake that her roommate made in the trash. She's sleeping with a teacher who's yeah. married. Right. Um, yeah. It, I sound like a grumpy old man here, but I don't know why... They went so hard. I mean, you're setting the character up as someone who needs change in their life, but just like with Groundhog Day. But there should have been an attempt to humanize her a little bit. Did you yeah. feel that way at all? Yeah, I got a note here that they might have gone a little bit overboard and like really made her, like every interaction. They're just like hitting us with like she is the worst of the worst. But, right. But, but I don't know. There's a part of me that that believes it because. Uh, I, I don't know, like, is it so unheard of? I mean, like, there's always, like, the stereotype around uh, people in college, like, you know, frat boys or, or people in, in sororities and, you know, kind of stereotyping them as, as, like, being, you know, kind of, like, in their own heads and, like, not really aware of the world around them or kind of selfish. So, I don't know, like, part of it, like, felt kind of believable in, in the way she was acting, but it was definitely, like, maybe they went, like, two or three too far. Like, we didn't need it to be spelled out, like, so much. Um, but then again, like everything they showed, like does kind of play to the plot later, like, cause everything, every bad thing she does does kind of come back later as something like she addresses, right? Yeah. But here is what I would have done differently. I would have had less an eye roll at her dad and, or maybe even if there was one, some sort of nuanced facial expression that showed us there was something more going on with her and her dad. It mm. wasn't just a shallow eye roll, like, oh, my dad's the worst. <laughs> like, especially because of w- the conversation that her and her dad end up having later in the movie. Yeah. The complete eye roll and just 
yeah, it, it that would have been an opportunity to show some humanization of the character and that something more there's something more to her than than yeah. it seems. Yeah, interesting. I I feel like I, I, I uh, yeah I struggle with it with that feeling, but then also and I think it's like as we get older and farther from that age, I also kind of look at that generation or people that age, and I'm not surprised like they're not very human or something. Uh, just you know like with, with the, like that what you, what you hear or see on the internet these days. So, uh, but I, I I agree they they could have humanized her more. I think they really start her off like in in the trash can pretty much. We sound so old. I know. <laughs> I disagree, man. I don't. Th- I, I think it's. I think it's foolish when generations paint each other with a brush. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to an extent, it's it's some of it's a little bit true, but I mean, that's what people said about us when we were coming into the workforce. Like totally. Which looking back, we I mean, were lazy and stuff. Which looking back, uh, you wouldn't agree with. Like, uh, I I don't know. Like, I I feel like when I was in college, I didn't have it in me to give like a sophisticated eye roll or like have a complex emotion. Uh, like, like, I don't know that, that part kind of resonates. Like, uh, you're that age, you know, you're just kind of like living in the moment or you're kind of like, so over everything that, uh, it's, you can't be bothered. And I feel like that's kind of relatable to even us when we were in that age. But, um, I, I don't know how much complexity to look for, for from a character in, in that segment. Okay. I see. So your beef isn't with the younger generation, but just you're saying that's how people are at that age. Yeah. I guess I kind of relate to like that, that feeling or like, I, I can totally kind of see like where she might've been. In terms of like uh, some of the comments she's making and like the way she's treating her parents and like what she says to that dude about uh, not having a foot long, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a, a part of it felt believable, and it, it might be just her performance as well. Okay, yeah, I, I could see that. I would say ages like eighteen to twenty five is probably like time of my life where I'm least proud of the human I was. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I still think just from a screenwriting perspective, and I know I'm kind of a basic bi- bitch with uh, yeah. screenwriting <laughs> stuff and I want things to be like by the book. Um, yeah. But I just think there's a reason for the things you do, like a save the cat moment that makes you like the character. Yeah, yeah it's predictable, but it's there for a reason. Like, our, our little brains like these type of stories. And if we're going to yeah. see this character grow, we have to believe there was something in there at the beginning to to make it seem like she could grow. We have to see that she's a living tree <laughs> instead of a steel beam. That's a good point. Because I, I feel like when her growth does start to happen later, it kind of like comes out of nowhere. And I'm not it's sure out of it, nowhere. Yeah, out it of doesn't nowhere. feel entirely I, I at least would have like eaten the cupcake. I, that, that was the most hard part for me to buy into. Like who doesn't eat a cupcake that's given to them? Yeah, right. Or at least like say, set it down and say you're going to eat it later. Yeah, you know, yeah. Throw like, it away right in front of a person. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. So all that happens. Um, oh, and then, yeah. What'd you think of that first kill? Like, was that pretty suspenseful for you? The first kill? Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. It, it wasn't amazing, but uh, sure, I'll take it. What did you think of that? I, I, I like the mask. I, I thought it was a, a cool touch. Um, I like the mask too. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of goofy, and then um, I thought the setting was cool. Like there was like a, a music box in a empty tunnel, some like uh, eerie lighting, and uh, it was good. But then yeah, here's like where it jumped out. Like how how do you have a knife? But there's like no blood going on here. So uh, there there wasn't any blood, was there? No, I'm pretty sure you just see the knife go up and come down, and then we cut to her in yeah, bed. Right. 
Yeah, so that's my only uh, disappointment there. But yeah, as soon as she's murdered, she wakes up in bed, and it's the same day all over again. She's in Carter's dorm room, realizes uh, that you know maybe this was just a dream. So she goes through the day with a strange sense of deja vu, which is explained as what happens when someone is thinking about you while they're masturbating. That night, she makes it to the house party because she goes a different route, just out of caution. Uh, you know, still thinking that that was a dream. But while she's hooking up with some dude, uh, the same figure, masked figure, pops out, stabs, and kills her. Then again, she wakes up in Carter's room, and this time she tries to explain to him that she's been waking up on the same day repeatedly and someone's been killing her. So Carter tells her that, you know, the best strategy here would be to try to figure out who it is. So she makes a list. And we kind of get this montage of her tracking down people, trying to see if they're the killer, but then uh, the killer showing up and killing her because it's the wrong person. Um, did you like find a lot of humor in this montage? Um, not particularly, no. How about you? No, at this point, it's starting to feel like a little formulaic. I mean, I, I like that each of the kills were different, and it wasn't like this. Like one scene, she's like drowning. The other time, like I think she gets hit by a bus. But I think the way they play to it. Um, yeah, I feel like it, like when you know someone's gonna come back and like they aren't actually gonna die, then it kind of like pulls away some of the uh, impact of the kill. I guess. Did Did you feel that? Yeah, it does. It does. But um, hmm. I think the it would have been maybe a better call to go a bit more comedic with the kills for that reason. Yeah. But I actually think some of the sequences were pretty cool and a little bit suspenseful. So yeah, I I did feel suspense even though I realized what what was going to happen. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, there's a little bit of a difference because she might find out who the killer is or this might be the day that she finally makes a breakthrough. Sure. Yeah, so you're hopeful, right? Like some, something new yeah. might come up. Yeah, so I, I think things start to move forward with, with uh, one of these times when she wakes up. It's the same day. She's in Carter's bed. Um, but she faints, so they take her to the hospital and they discover that her organs are all kind of messed up, like she's been stabbed or like killed a bunch of times. So like her body is like sustaining internal injury, which seems serious. Uh, she tries to escape the hospital, but the killer shows up again. And I, I really like this scene where like she's being stalked in the parking garage, and then she escapes, and the killer like finds her and runs over the cop that that pulls her over and then blows up the car she's in. I, I thought that was a really cool sequence. What, what did you think? That was a really cool sequence. I like that one. That was one of my favorite kill sequences. And then there was one in her room about 30 minutes in. Um, oh, yeah. Or maybe it was at the party where she's like, yeah, and the TV keeps like going on and yeah. off. That Something about that scene worked really well. I mean, the we've talked, we talked about this in the Scream episode where if you got one other thing going on in the room, it's just like that extra tension that really makes this scene even more stressful like we talked about that with the popcorn and the intro to scream oh sure and this doesn't touch the intro to scream but the tv going out in and out was a nice little add-on that that added to the tension and ramped things up yeah yeah um and the score really picked up in this scene as well and that's when i started to notice that i really enjoyed the score oh yeah i think that, yeah for those like suspense like build-up scenes mm-hmm yeah i yeah. think any kill scene that was uh, particularly interesting, really. I, they were shot and directed well and everything, but the score really helped out. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they really took their time. And it was cool because they could, uh, you have this one character getting killed repeatedly, but they could use all these different settings, the, the bedroom, the alley uh, uh, with the first kill, the parking garage, which I feel like parking garage kills are becoming something common that we've been seeing in a few films now. 
Oh yeah, um, parking garage is an inherently creepy place, so yeah. it, that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I didn't realize that before, but yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the score uh, helps here, and then I, I feel like they take their time on some of these kills to like build it up. You don't know where the killer is, or they pop out of somewhere, or yeah, they're playing with the TV remote control. So there's some creativity going on here, which is fun. Yeah. Um, so she again wakes up, uh, and this time uh, she hears on the news that there's been the serial killer who's been arrested recently and is being kept at the hospital. So she figures out that it must be the serial killer who is escaping the hospital and stalking her and killing her every night. So she goes to the hospital to kill this serial killer, but uh, the killer wakes up and kills Carter and chases Tree. She manages to get the better of him, but before she kills him, she realizes that if she survives this day, then Carter is never going to come back. So I think this is where we start to get a sense of like her humanity because she goes and kills herself in order to bring the day back and, and bring Carter back. Um, what, what did you think? Is this kind of like where we start to realize, oh, maybe she's not like a shitty person? Yeah, I think this is the turnaround for sure. Um, and any idea like what inspired it or why? Like, was there a moment where she's like, oh, maybe I do like this guy Carter or this? I think we had gotten subtle uh clues that she was liking Carter a bit and it's funny too because Carter is just he's likable because he's the only character who's not a complete asshole oh yeah like it's made a big deal that he just like took her home because she was super wasted and needed a place to sleep yeah and she's like really wowed by that (laughs) yeah yeah I mean like that's kind of a low bar if like our hero is a hero just because he didn't <laughs> rape her yeah. that's where we've come. sorry that's that i shouldn't be laughing at that but it's just kind yeah. of ridiculous he didn't do that much he wasn't that charming of a character in general not that i demand him to be some knight in shining armor but yeah they could have done more i don't know man watching this same day over and over again i realized not a single person was likable yeah whereas something like groundhog day Bill Murray wasn't a great person, but he had a charm to him. And then you've got like Chris Elliott, who's funny, and Andy McDowell, who's yeah, super charming. So you know Israel Broussard is no Andy McDowell, and I had a hard time rewatching the same day over and over again with with people these who I just did not care about. Anyway, I kind yeah. of went off on a tangent, but I do think they <laughs> hinted on their budding romance a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I feel like his character, like, you never really get enough of him. He's always just, like, there to ask her questions. Like, you never really learn a lot about him. He doesn't seem like a character with a lot of agency or personality. He's just, like, the nice guy in Tear Point, like, the the safe bet at, in, like, this world of, like, terrible people. But I did like the the cast, like, her, her roommate and, like, the other sisters in the house, just, like, how shitty they were. Because I, I love when movies just have, like, these characters that they're just kind of making fun of the whole movie. Uh, like the whole, uh, did like one of the sisters is like eating breakfast at, at this meeting and, uh, everyone's like kind of calling her out on it and she's like, oh, I missed breakfast. And, uh, the story sister's like, oh, we all missed breakfast. I just like lines like that. I just love, cause I feel like they're, they're being very, um, satirical and, and like making fun of, uh, a certain group of people that you love to see kind of torn up. We've hit on this theme before where you really enjoy younger people getting like (laughs) 
taken to task in the commentary of a, the subtext of a movie. God, That's what, what they're there for, right? Isn't that why young people exist? <laughs> to be the yeah, butt of these jokes. There was another movie we watched where you were like so pleased to see the characters depicted as shitheads. Oh God, man, that gets me every time. <laughs> Uh, I'm not on board with you there. I I, I would like some likeable people, likeable people in my movies, please. I would too. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm always especially like, something that's supposed to be a charming comedy. This isn't like a nihilistic film. I guess, yeah. But doesn't it make you like feel better about yourself to like, oh, you're not like these terrible people? Uh, doesn't it put like, put you like on a high horse for a minute? I mean, I guess that that. Isn't this is like a thing why people that watch... a storyteller can do for you can make you feel superior to another character? I mean, that's an emotion we all get. Like, oh, I, I can't wait for that person to get it. Um, yeah. Or for my the hero to to you know end up in a good place and the bad guy to end up in a bad place. But yeah, everybody was the bad guy. Everyone was a, a bad person. I I would equate it though to like why people watch reality TV. Like those those aren't necessarily like great people, right? But you just kind of like love to watch them like be ridiculous, right? And uh, they, I, I don't know. There's like some kind of entertainment value from like watching people who are like so stuck in these like worlds, like kind of just you know throw themselves around in circles. I hate that. I hate. I hate watching that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I thought. Uh, were you not a fan of the Real World? I feel like you brought that one up recently. Uh, when I was a kid, I watched the Real World, but the Real wor- World was so much more tame than it, it, some of the seasons. Especially, it was a totally different thing than what reality TV is now. Oh, like okay. there were some elements of the Real World. I'm not saying it wasn't edited and produced to create stories, but. It was a lot more authentic, and there were people going through real struggles and uh-huh. having it documented on camera. It wasn't it oh, wasn't shit. the way reality TV is now. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Anytime I see reality TV these days, like uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashian or like a uh, Ninety Day Fiance or something, it's just uh, it kind of reminds me of the humor in this film, where um, it's just like people you can kind of laugh at. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, no disrespect to people that watch reality TV, but I just. I think it's the worst. Yeah. I, I'm going to get you hooked on it, man. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to, uh, I've, I've got, I, yeah, I definitely uh, don't watch it often, but I, I feel like they're like ones out there that would be pretty entertaining if we gave them a shot. Uh, All right. But yeah. Why don't you write it on a piece of paper and hand it to me next time we see each other just so I can crumple up the paper and throw it in the trash can. <laughs> throw it in the trash can, right? <laughs> Actually, I'll just throw it right at your face. Yeah. That's what I figured. <laughs> All right. Um, where were we on this one? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so she kills herself. So some sign of humanity here. Uh, maybe one person turning good. But I agree. Like, Carter, uh, we don't know enough about him to be this great guy. Um, but the next day, she wakes up and suddenly, like, she's got this, like, great sense of purpose. She goes out and uh, signs a petition for global warming. Um, she's, like, looking out for people. She finally picks up the call from her dad. Or doesn't pick up the call, but goes and meets her. And we find out she's had, like, this backstory where her mother and her had the same birthday but the mother died uh and so that's why she's kind of avoiding her dad so i i feel like that was pretty humanizing like i, I could see like you know a, a person in that age you know g- g- yeah struggling to deal with like those types of uh traumas and like for that reason like avoiding a parent's right Right. I think that she's very humanized towards the end of the film but they needed to foreshadow that they needed to give us some clues that 
she that there was this person in there the whole time. Otherwise, it feels mm. unearned and out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I know this kind of like does uh, come out. Of, it kind of surprises you, which yeah, there, there weren't a lot of clues anyway. She's like pretty, um, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that is interesting. I mean, I think they did give clues to the fact that her mom was no longer in the picture, but mm. I, I think we needed more clues to her, more insight into her inner humanity in the first half of the film. Yeah, so you're you're saying you think she was human before the killing started. Um, see, I, I'm assuming she didn't have humanity, but then dying every time brought the humanity out of her uh, or like made her become more of a person with uh, more complex emotions. But, dying taught her how to live. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, she's a character and she's traveling along a character arc. And I think A... Things are more believable when you foreshadow them. Uh, you know, there's like screenwriting stuff that says you can get away with anything if you foreshadow it. And you see that in movies all the time. Something wild and outrageous doesn't seem so outrageous if we had a clue that maybe it could happen earlier yeah. in the film. Yeah. So that's one aspect that bugs me. But then just characters in general should have something relatable they should have a strength or some reason for us to like them yeah and I, and i'm saying should I, I know i'm so prescriptive with the way i want my stories to be but this is a romantic comedy horror film i mean i think the intention was for us to enjoy the ride and to enjoy tree as a character mm-hmm. so i just don't know why they made her they went so hard on her being a mean girl at the and at the, the first beginning. half of things, like yeah. we we could have gotten that point and still seen a hint of humanity in there. Interesting. Uh, Feel free to send me some hate mail, guys, and tell me I'm really crazy and too hung <laughs> up on this. But it was such a 180; it's just hard to hard yeah. to buy into. Yeah, yeah, you would have liked to see something. I, you know, I, I think the foreshadowing happened uh, because when when she gets the voicemail from her dad in that first day, he is like saying, "Like, I can't believe you wouldn't like show up on today, especially knowing like what today is." So I feel like you get the sense that something like deeper is there. And I, I wonder if like you go to like a psychologist or someone who would look at a character like this, and yeah, all you're seeing are these like evil, uh, kind of mean spirited things that she's doing. But would someone be able to kind of like see that like well these all all like maybe defense mechanisms or there's a reason like she's behaving this way and and that is like kind of what this movie gets at with each of her deaths is it's bringing out like the story inside of her or something. We've kind of come up on this argument before where you're arguing that the characters portrayed could be a reality, and I'm kind of arguing. Sure, maybe, but that's not how a character should be in this type of movie. Oh, okay. Like, this isn't a real person. Yeah. It's a character in a horror comedy, and I don't think a horror comedy should go so literal with the fact that this person might be an utter... Honestly, it's not even literal. It's hard to believe anyone would be this horrible. <laughs> it is. The, I mean, at least not deliberately in two people's faces, like... Have you have you seen the movie Mean Girls by any chance? I have. It's a, a fictional film. Is it? <laughs> That's based on like <laughs> Tina Fey's life experiences. But even those people are more humanized. Even the like head Mean Girl played by Rachel McAdams is more humanized up front than than any of the characters here. Uh, yeah, especially looking at the other characters. Yeah, you're right. There's definitely a, a lack of any humanity. But. Uh, 
Except, you know, they all kind of have, like, their vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Like, there is, like, some hostility between her and the sisters. Uh, but, yeah, I guess that's also kind of simplified into, like, yeah, love triangles or whatever, right? Yeah. 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 I agree. They, maybe there's, like, some lazy uh, writing up front on these characters, and it wouldn't have hurt them to add in, like, a few more nuances that didn't make them so stereotypical. Yeah. I agree with you agreeing with me. Okay. <laughs> uh so, uh, where were we? Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, suddenly she's got the sense of purpose. She knows who her killer is. She goes about the day making everything right, has the lunch with her dad. That night, she shows up prepared and takes out the serial killer at the hospital with a gun. So, she figures she's free now. So, her and Carter end the day by eating the cupcake. Um, but then, to her shock, she wakes up again the next morning. Uh, in the same day, she's still trapped in it, so she must have died in her sleep. Uh, she realizes while she's talking to her roommate that uh, she must have died from the cupcake that her roommate gave her. And at this point, it's revealed, or she, she deduces that her roommate uh, has been trying to poison her. And when she would throw away the cupcake, the roommate would then find her at night and kill her and blame it on the serial killer dude. Um, so it's been her roommate after her the whole time. The reason was that uh, professor that Tree was having an affair with. I think Lori also had feelings for him, or did they have a relationship? Yeah, I didn't know. I kind of missed that part. I didn't know if it was the professor or some other guy, but uh, yeah, yeah so somebody. I don't know if she had a relationship or just a crush, but yeah, so something about a guy, I guess, right? Something about a guy. That's all we need to know. Yeah. The two fights, and uh, Tree does this thing where she swings on the chandelier and kicks Lori out of the window to her death. And then the movie ends with Tree and Carter waking up, and it's finally the next day. And uh, I think that's where the movie ends, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Carter's wearing a t-shirt that says, Not raping people since 1998. <laughs> and that's how you know he's a good guy. <laughs> 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 Good for and him. And there was an alternate ending, or the original ending, really, was after that fight, Tree is taken to the hospital, and a nurse, who is revealed to be the professor's wife that Tree's been cheating with, uh, she kills Tree, and that's the way the movie ends. Dude, that's wild. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, Yeah, I saw they screened that for audiences, and it's in two as well, but uh, I, I think I would have liked that, because like, they, they, they introduced the professor's wife. Uh, you see her for a minute. And I don't know if maybe she's like a red herring or something, but that would have been cool to see her come around at the end and kill Tree. Honestly, I I might have liked that better too. And I was going to ask you if you would have liked that better because it kind of fits more into your view of the characters and how you how you read this film as a mockery of these type of characters. And yeah, it it sounds like you would want to see them go and, oh, and get there. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that that would have been pretty satisfying for me. For sure. Yeah, honestly, I, I might have liked that ending, to, to be honest. Yeah, but then it w- would have robbed us of sequels, I guess. Yes. Unless, right. Yeah. Unless it's well, out. yeah, I mean, unless she woke up again. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yep, still hadn't figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what, what were your overall thoughts here? It sounds like you had some issues with the characters. Yeah, you know, I'm pissing all over this movie, but um, once things started moving towards the resolution, like the second half of the movie, things started to get more enjoyable for me. Um, and th- there was, as much as I had trouble with a lot of elements of the movie, the pacing was really good. And yeah. there were some suspense, suspenseful scenes. Like we just kind of briefly mentioned the kills, but they were good. I mean, 
I don't think any of them were bad. Some of them were just purposely done quickly for the purposes of the story. Right. But I liked the mask. I liked the killer stalking her. The horror elements were enjoyable to me. I agree. I, I thought they did some really creative things. Like he could have just had a slasher uh, showing up at a house and e- every time, but like every kill was a different setting, uh, a different vibe, a car chase, an explosion, uh, a hospital showdown. Uh, you had such a great variety of kills here, which I think kept it feeling pretty fresh. Yeah, agree. Did you have as many problems? Well, what were your problems with it? Because it sounds like you don't share mine or maybe just not as heavily as, as I uh, my beliefs. Yeah, no, I, I'm not too too hung up on the characters. I I, I agree. Like uh, Carter was kind of a useless character and uh, didn't uh, like necessarily have to be there. Um, but otherwise, you know, I I thought her performance of, of a person in her role like felt believable. Uh, but that character development came out of nowhere. The the issue I had was mostly around like the lack of blood in the PG-13 rating. And then um, I do wonder if seeing the same character dying over and over again and knowing that they're going to come back, kind of like the last uh, last Marvel film where everyone died but then came back. Uh, I just feel like it's it's uh, kind of dilutes like the overall uh, scare or meaning of like if you have a chase scene and you know someone's under threat of like getting killed, are you as worried about them if you know they're just going to pop back up? Like, did you ever feel like scared for her? Um, I felt scared just in like the way I feel scared. I don't know if scared is the right word at my grizzled point in life right now but <laughs> i felt suspense in the kill scenes even though theoretically i think the stakes of her not solving the problem were high enough for me sure and, and they try to do to correct that by having that element where we learn that the injuries she's sustaining as she is killed are kind of lingering yeah. and the doctor says you should be dead that i don't know how i felt about that i know it was supposed to raise the stakes but yeah. It just felt a little forced to me. What did you think of that element of it? I felt the same way. I remember like the first time I saw this film, that really raised the stakes for me. But this time while I was watching it, uh, I, I didn't feel like the same way. Like that, that, that like I so okay, yeah, your internal organs or whatever, like showing showing all the sign of damage. But there, does that mean that like she can only sustain so much more? Because that's never really actually uh, mentioned, is it? That idea that she like, says, I keep coming back weaker every time I come back, which leads us to believe that maybe there is a finite amount of this. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. But there's... Groundhog's Day, the worst possible outcome was him reliving the same day over and over again, and the existential dread that came with that. Yeah, um, I think that's enough to me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You think they should have maybe focused on that more versus like this idea of uh, artificial pressure around uh, body injuries? Yeah, I, I think they should have delved more into the fact that she was reliving the same day every day. Like they did the typical comedy type stuff and there was a woman who kept trying to get her to sign a global warming petition that I felt was the, the Ned Ryerson of this movie for Groundhog Day fans. Uh-huh. But... I don't think there was any real meaningful interaction with that fact. The fact that she was reliving the day over and over again. All it taught her to do was to not be utterly horrible. Yeah. She didn't really have to, like, come to terms with anything on an as existential level like Bill Murray's character did. Maybe that's a bit much to ask, but... Yeah. Um, I don't know. It all just felt so shallow and easy with her character arc. She also has a really weird scene where she just 
walks out of her dorm naked one day just because she's hitting that. You know, Bill Murray hit the same nose where he's like, well, fuck it, nothing matters anymore. But that felt really forced. That felt forced. <laughs> I, and she just, I didn't buy into her character at all. I think she was a really poorly written character, and I think it was a bad performance. Really? Okay, so you weren't on board with her acting? I wasn't. I I almost feel like there's... You know how we all have a certain actor or something where you're just like, I cannot stand this person and I don't know why. I think Jessica Roth is uh, Roth or Roth is, is that for me. So I apologize, Jessica, but I, I did not like you in this movie. <laughs> Even when she turned to good, I was just like, I don't like you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be watching you anymore. <laughs> Get off the screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's what you're saying, though, but c- comparing uh, the, the threat of like uh, Bill Murray on the existential side, because I, I do think there's a point in this film, and it goes back to your character development point, where she's sitting down, I think, with Carter and recognizing that like she's become almost like the worst version of herself. And I think this is like where she talks about how her mom had died years ago and she wouldn't be happy with who she is. So it's kind of like her realizing... I'm this really shitty person now, not who I used to be. And it's almost like she's stuck living this day where she's like the worst version of herself. So that that to me kind of felt like the the bottom of like her character and maybe like the turnaround for like where she starts to think like, oh, maybe this has something to do with like the type of person I am or something. Uh, do you, that, that, that scene didn't hit you as like maybe self-growth character development? Yeah, I mean that that's that's a tree growing. Yeah, but I just think it was so shallow. I mean, this is a, a horror comedy, so maybe I shouldn't demand anything more than shallowness. But all she realized was that she shouldn't be a total jerk anymore, and then she—that's how she corrected it. She just wasn't a total jerk anymore. It wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't the sequence we have with Bill Murray where he's like doing all this ultra nice stuff and everyone in the town loves him. I mean, I can't ask this movie to literally be the same movie yeah. as Groundhog Day. Yeah. But uh it's just uh I don't know. It was also surface level like she just isn't a bitch and then Yeah. Wow, good job. She she really grew. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It, it's interesting because she could have stayed. Uh, she didn't. She didn't have to become a nicer person. She could have stayed mean and still got out of this, right? I, I don't. Know I those... guess all she had to do was figure out her killer. So yeah, yeah, that that I think what really needed to happen with Bill Murray was that he uh, needed to gain a better understanding of his life and his role in the world for right. it to switch to the next day. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it definitely didn't have like the deep uh, existential meeting. I think that uh, Groundhog's Day did. So that's kind of yeah, that's kind of a disservice in, in missing here. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it is like a cheap slasher like knockoff of of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I shouldn't expect so much, but and, and I'm not. I wasn't sitting there at the end of the movie thinking I want something more existential. But this movie did so much that I thought wasn't the correct approach that it just has me. Thinking of some of the ways it could have been approached differently, I'm not sure if that would have been the right path. But yeah, sure, sure. Okay. I really just think they could have done almost the exact same thing with a few different touches. Yeah, and a more nuanced performance, and and, and, and not Jessica Roth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it could have just been the way she was directed too. I just feel like nobody really sat down and thought about this character that much. It was just mm. pretty surface level. Yeah. So interesting, man. I, I thought she was like this deep, complex person with like all these defense mechanisms that made her like this mean person, which like the film, like as she's getting killed, is like eating away into past those feelings and this like nice person like starts to emerge. Um, so yeah, just, just, yeah, very, very different perspective there. 
And, and argue against myself, she does kind of dump the drink on that woman's head after accusing being mean to that one woman who's eating breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she does have it. She she puts a pillow under a pledge's head before he passes out of exhaustion. <laughs> like, yeah. She does have those moments. I just, it all felt forced and just like notes were being hit. Right, right. Okay. Uh, cool. Well, yeah. Any, any, uh, but it sounds like you liked the kills, the music, um, and this, the killer looks pretty cool to you. And uh, overall direction and pacing, what, what'd you thought? I thought that was pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the structure of the movie as a whole, you know, I, I I laid out my beast with it, but it kept moving and the pacing was good. Score was definitely a highlight. That that might have been my favorite part of the film. Oh, nice, cool, cool. Yeah. So I think it kept yeah, moving. Yeah, and I, I this isn't. It's one of those movies where I talk and talk about how much I dislike <laughs> certain elements, but as a whole, I didn't hate the movie. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, didn't hate it. That's that's Brian's rating. <laughs> 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 All right, well, yeah. Do you want to? Should we jump to the rating then? Yeah. All right. Um, how many poisoned cupcakes would you give this one? I give it three poisoned cupcakes because at the end of the day, I still liked it. Believe it or not. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Sometimes I get even more angry at threes because I see how they could have easily been a four. Oh yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> The yeah. answer's right there. <laughs> just <do> yeah. things. <laughs> you, should, you guys should have just called me. Yeah. <laughs> I had all these ideas for you. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. If, if uh, Christopher Landon out there is listening to this, uh, he can uh, he knows where to go. Um, yeah, I'm sure he I'm sure he is. Cool. Right, well, yeah, I'm, I'm slightly higher than you. I, I give it four. Because, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was clever and, and fun, like, to your point. Uh, I, th- I thought she was, like, a complex enough character. But also, like, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I really just enjoy seeing characters that, like, really just make fun of themselves. Because, uh, I don't know, it's almost like there's, like, a self-awareness about it where you know, like, you're a shitty group of people and you're just, like, playing up to those uh, expected tropes, which I, I can't get enough of. That, that's a good time. I also thought the twist was pretty good. Did, did you see that coming? Um, I didn't see it coming. I sure I I didn't like her justification for killing Tree, but <laughs> I did like that it ended up being her and that she. I don't think we mentioned this. She set the serial killer free, just as a cover for her that so that no one would suspect it was her who murdered Tree. Yeah, all because of uh, a guy, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And funny that she was willing to let other people possibly die by the hand of this serial killer just as a cover up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I do like that element. I, I honestly wouldn't have minded the original ending. Oh, sure. Yeah, I would have enjoyed that, too. That would have been a lot better for me. Yeah. Uh, last question wow, for you. Wow, four. Okay. All yeah, right. I know. Uh, last question for you. If you were in her position, what would you have done? Let's see. What would I have done? I, You know, I really like Bill Murray's approach to every day over and over again. I probably would have experimented with different ways of killing myself. Mm. Yeah. And then I think I would have really tried, after some uh, painful confrontation with my fate, really just tried to delve into life and learn languages and learn music and hmm. take that endless amount of time for, for what it is. Wow. Okay. And just cool. totally like play with the world around me. And, and that was a really fun thing that he did that she didn't really do that much, aside from that scene where she <laughs> walks out naked, like, okay, whatever. But... <laughs> I thought that was going to be the answer. I was gonna he really like toyed like the world was his sandbox, and it was fun to yeah. watch him play. Yeah, so yeah. I would I would be Bill Murray. I, well, I hope, that, or I would difference. just like 
rock back and forth in a corner with my arms around my knees for <laughs> every day for the rest of my Just life. crying, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that, that's the difference. You're comparing Bill Murray, who's like playing a dude, what, like in his 30s maybe, to like a, a college kid, right? Yeah, sure. And, and so, yeah, I think he, it's it's hard to like kind of uh, expect similar things uh, there. And that's what made this kind of believable for me is like it's a Groundhog's Day, but like a younger person and maybe how their, their reaction would be. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why she just didn't, like, stay in Carter's room the whole day or something or just, like, uh, hid in the bathroom for a day or something. Right, right. Uh, it seemed yeah. like there were easy ways to avoid this. There, I would have liked her to see her do a little bit more with her days. <laughs> Use your time more productively. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, exactly. Like, like so you what did, do you like better, this or Freaky? <laughs> uh, I think uh, I like this a little bit better. Uh, oh, because, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, both of these films, Freaky and this one, like you read the title, you know the premise. And so there's like a lot of this film where you're just like, all right, waiting for the premise to play out and there's predictability to it. But I actually liked her as a character and, and her acting. So I, I, I think I, I found more humor in her and, and like the the group of her friends versus like the characters in, in Freaky. But what, what about okay. you? I, I think you liked Freaky more then, right? I liked Freaky a lot better. Yeah. I feel like I gave Freaky maybe even like four and a half. Yeah, Vince Vaughn was great. He was, he was hilarious. Vince Vaughn was, yeah, that was a funny movie. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good good comparison. All right. Well, cool. Anything else? That's all. I'm done. Sorry, everybody. All great right. session over. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for our discussion on Happy Death Day. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find the show. And we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter. In case you want to watch it before the next episode, we're also on Discord, where you can find us and other horror fans uh, chatting uh, about horror films and other topics. So find that link on our website. Our logo is by Amy Made Pop Art, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you find yourself living the same day over and over again, try playing the lottery a few times maybe, so that when you eventually do survive or make it to the next day, you might have something to show for it. <laughs> right? Did, does, does Bill Murray ever do that? Why would that... I mean, it would just very slightly increase your odds of winning the lottery, right? What? You know what the winning uh, numbers are of that day, right? Yeah, but how do you go find the ticket with the numbers? Oh, um... um <laughs> Clearly you don't play the lot. <laughs> yeah. All right, go, go on to, like, uh, maybe play the stock market? Maybe that's a better way to go. There you go. Yeah, or make some sports bets. Ah, uh, sports bets, yeah, yeah. Back Ooh. to the future stuff. A good game on that day, yeah. All right.